You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Thank you very much for serving us in music this morning and everyone serving. We want to look in God's Word. We're not in Romans today, but if you turn to the book of Luke, we will be here briefly. If you want to look at the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 8 is where I'm going. Before I get there, though, and before I show a picture from last week, today is December 11th, as my wife looks down. So this is Hannah's birthday today. So I figure, okay, if your birthday was Friday, I might not say anything, but it's today. So I want to celebrate along with you, um, Hannah. And seven years ago, you called us to come, and I think one of the questions was, what do you expect from Hannah? And I think it was just, well, we're not hiring her. We're hiring, you know, you. But you did hire uh, her in a, in a way. She is a wonderful blessing to my entire ministry. So anyway, just wanted to share that publicly. She prays for me. And most every Sunday will encourage me, not just with, Michael, you're such a good pastor. You can do this. Because <laughs> I'm not. But she gives me the word of God, and that's a blessing. So I just want to thank Hannah, celebrate the birthday. She probably really doesn't like me doing that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Great partner in life. Okay, well then Malachi, we've got a picture from you last week. So this is where we were in Romans last week. We were looking at Romans 8 for all who are led by the Spirit, are sons of God. And our children are being children of God through Christ. So thank you, Malachi, for turning that in, and all of you. We're going to go into Luke 2 and and actually various passages today as we take just a little bit of Christmas break from uh, Romans, and I will explain that in a little bit here. So hopefully you're in Luke chapter 2. I just want to read some familiar passage from verses 8 through 14 here. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let me pray again for our time. Lord, I come to you on behalf of each one gathered here by your plan today that has come to this particular location in Leroy, and we want to hear from you in your word, and we want to magnify and glorify the Son, Jesus Christ. So guide our time in your word as we think on Christ and think on his deity and humanity And that we would leave, Lord, in obedience and we would leave in worship of you in our lives. 
Lord, I thank you, especially just today, to think of Hannah and her gift from you. All things are from you, and you have gifted me and our church. And I thank you for her today and a chance to celebrate your work through her in our lives. And just guide our time now. Uh, Again, as we think on you, by your spirit, we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was before, well, it was right after, I think the Monday after Black Friday, I was listening to a morning news podcast that I listen to uh, a little more regularly, often, and something in that podcast caught my attention, that news of the day. The host was interviewing somebody about Black Friday uh, sales and the kind of the business end of things and how it would, I think there had been some record spending on this Black Friday And it was near the end of the conversation as I'm walking the dog, and I I hear this line that the host says, and here's the line. He says, you know, it's kind of a throw, you know, he said, sounds like there's at least some good news to kick off the holiday season. At least some good news. And maybe that's how it feels with good news. There's not a lot of good news these days. There is some, but not a lot in our land. And I wanted to just pause and ponder this statement from this host. wasn't probably trying to speak anything theologically, but sounds like there's at least some good news. The question here, what does Luke's account of the angel's message to the shepherds in verse 10, what does that tell us? It says, the angel brought good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And what was the news? Look at verses 11 through 12. The news is, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In the Scriptures, we see the good news that the world needs. Not just some some good news to start the holiday season, but the good news. It's the good news that our own hearts especially need, and, and in the midst of daily bad news. And maybe it's in the midst of bad news, it's in the midst of darkness, even in our own land, that this good news of the Savior, of Christ the Lord, who is born this day that we celebrate of Christmas, that this news shines even brighter in darkness. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this good news, but thinking of it in terms of what J.I. Packer calls the greatest mystery. He's written a book, I've probably referred to it before, called Knowing God. Maybe some of you have read Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If not, I encourage you to read through that book. It's really worth reading. But chapter 5, he brings out some of this. And so I'm gleaning some from J.I. Packer here as we think about what he calls the greatest mystery. And he begins this chapter and he talks about these aspects of Jesus' life and work and talks about many of them that, that, that many would find hard to believe. He says this. I'm kind of just taking parts of this. He says, how, how can we believe that the death of Jesus of Nazareth, one man, and then he references the cross, how did that, that event put away a world's sins? Or he says, take the resurrection. How, they ask, can we believe that Jesus rose physically from the dead? Or the virgin birth. How, people ask, can one possibly believe in such a biological anomaly? Or, 
the gospel miracles. How can one believe that he walked on the water or fed the 5,000 or raised the dead? But in fact, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us does not lie here at all. It lies not in the Good Friday message of atonement, nor in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. The really staggering Christian claim, Packer goes on, is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man. That the second person of the Godhead became the second man, the second representative head of the race, and that he took humanity without loss of deity so that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. And he says, here are two mysteries for the price of one. (laughs) The plurality of persons within the unity of God and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. It is here, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word became flesh. God became man. Packer says, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. And that's what we want to do these next few weeks is to think about it and wonder about this this good news, that the Almighty God, this eternally existing God who is holy, exalted above all else, He's transcendent above anything else in creation, that He descends, He takes on flesh, He's born a baby in a manger, attended to by a couple from Nazareth of all places, and he's revealed that night to shepherds. And so we want to think about this. So this week we're going to examine an area I think we we looked at at least somewhat, uh, actually took a Sunday on uh, when we were studying Philippians, and to examine the deity of Christ. The fact that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed God the Son. And then next week we're going to aim towards Uh, the humanity of Christ, and that the Word became flesh. And look at that aspect. And then we're going to, on Christmas Eve, we'll look at His name. And then Christmas Day, come back to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9, and see that Jesus became poor so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. So we're going to be looking at this incarnation, God incarnate here, these next couple weeks. And so we want to just really, I'm just examining the Scriptures with you this week to kind of trace the deity, the Godhead of this Christ child, and really answering the question, is Jesus in fact God? I'm going to list a bunch off. You don't have to turn there. You can write them down. If you want to turn, you can, or you're really good with your phone Bible. You can probably get there about as fast as I will here. But I want to start and just by looking at what the Bible says, and really we're going to start in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we find passages. We find them that look forward to the Messiah And they convey that this Son of God is truly divine. Let me just list off a few and read them. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6 says, says, Behold, the days are coming. So we're back in the Old Testament. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. 
In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So this righteous branch takes on the name of Lord. Quite familiar. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And even that phrase, Everlasting Father, you can look into John and see some parallels between Jesus and the Father. And then, of course, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, there's an allusion to the fulfillment of uh, John the Baptist where it says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of who? The Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so Mark then, in the Gospel of Mark, begins his Gospel saying, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, prepare the way of the Lord. And so John the Baptist even says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So John prepares for Jesus. He prepares for the Lord. Now here's two really interesting ones with New Testament connections. Psalm 45.6 declares this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. And Hebrews 1, verse 8, sees this as God the Father speaking of the Son, saying, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Another Hebrews connection, Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. The psalmist speaks of the Lord there in Psalm 102. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. And again, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 sees this as this father speaking of the son. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. So you've got Psalm 45, 6, Psalm 102, 25 through 27. Again, repeated in the writer of Hebrews saying, look at this. This aims at the son. And then Jesus himself even goes back to Psalm 110, verse 1. And he distinguishes that the Christ, the Christ is not only the son of David, right, born in that town of Bethlehem, but he's something more. And, he, and Jesus appeals to Psalm 110, where David writes, he writes, the Lord says to my Lord. So David's the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Jesus himself appeals back to the Old Testament in order to point to his identity. The common phrase, it's not unique to me, I forget who probably came up with it, but it says this, that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. And that's helpful as we think about Old and New Testament. The new is in the old concealed. We don't see it all, but the old is in the new and it's revealed. Hebrews is is really an example of that as with other things. So in light of the new, it's actually the deity of Christ has always been there. But as we come then to the New Testament, we see more citations, more proofs 
through the deity of Christ. And so the New Testament picks up. And again, it picks up in the Old Testament. It even applies Old Testament language to see the fulfillment of Christ coming to the earth. I've mentioned Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 draws on Psalm uh, 2, I believe. Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 45, Psalm 102, Psalm 110 even. But think about that Christmas story of Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, where the angel's speaking to Joseph about the son to be born. And he echoes, the angel echoes Isaiah 7, 14. So you've got Matthew 1, 23, now coming back from the old, putting it in place, and the angel says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, this is familiar, Christmas, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew, you all, I think a lot of you would remember, Matthew goes on to explain which means, do you remember? God with us. The, the L part, the Eem, I think, is the, the with and the L is God. God with us, Emmanuel. And so we get a sense, I think, as we look towards the New Testament even of this, this greatest mystery. Here's Emmanuel, Jesus, the Son of And this is God with us. Well, the apostles also recognize Jesus' deity. Uh, Places like Colossians 1.19. Paul says of Jesus, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Or Colossians 2.9. For in him, again in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Or Titus 2.13. Paul calls him our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or quite familiar, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then 1 John five twenty says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. One designation we see of Jesus in the New Testament is that of this designation as Son of God. You've heard that. It's actually, I think I looked it up, used some 43 times in the New Testament, referring to Jesus as the Son of God. And Packer, in his chapter, he asks regarding this phrase, he says, what does the Bible mean when it calls Jesus the Son of God? Does that mean kind of a, maybe a lesser deity, a lesser type God? What does this mean, Son of God? And to answer that, Packer takes us to John chapter 1, where I just read from, verses 1 through 18, and I'd like you to head there as well. We're going to look through this just really briefly. The first chapter of John As you're heading there, John chapter 1, we'll read a few verses out of it here, verses 1 through 4, but J.I. Packer, he states there, he says, nowhere else of this, I think of this section, this John 1 through 18, and you could read it later if you'd like to, the whole part, he says, nowhere else in the New Testament is the nature and meaning of Jesus' divine sonship so clearly explained. That's a statement here on on John, like understand John chapter 1. 
Let me just read to you verses 1 through 4 and then kind of bring some, some help from, from Packer as he, as he explains it here. So it just starts off, John starts off, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I'm going to condense down some of Packer's explanation here on what we see of Jesus, even in just verses 1 through 4, as the Word. You see the Word over and over there. And again, there's an idea of hearkening back to, to creation and God speaking creation into existence. Listen to Psalm 33, 6, in light of where we're at here in John. It says this, in Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And so Packer explains, he says, The word of God is thus God at work. And then he goes on, looking at verses 1 through 4. He points out some things here. The the words eternity, you see it there, verse 1. The word was in the beginning. It's not that the word uh, began, it, it was. This word was. Didn't, in the beginning it started, it's in the beginning the word was. There's an eternality to Christ. We see the words personality and that this word was with God. I think it's Packer pointing out here as one who, this idea of being with, the word was with God as one who stands in relation to God having active fellowship. And then, of course, the word was God, pointing to Jesus, and his divinity, his divine nature. In uh, verse 3, you've got the word creating. All things were made through him. So there's this creation. Verse 4, there's the word, Packer calls it animating, where, where it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And he points out here, life is given and maintained by the word. Created things do not have life in themselves, but life in the Word, the second person of the Godhead. And then if you skip down through that chapter to verse 14, you see that familiar line in verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Again, where Packer says, the baby in the manger at Bethlehem was none other than the eternal Word of God. This Word was beginning active fellowship. All things created through Him, eternal, becomes flesh. Look at the entirety of the verse 14. Then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here you've got the Word becoming flesh, and then you've got Son, and they're, they're connected in which the Son is the Word, and the Word is God. And so Packer concludes, when therefore the Bible proclaims Jesus as the Son of God, as we're thinking about that phrase, Son of God, the statement is meant as an assertion of His distinct personal deity. I hope that's helpful, at least even... When you come across that designation of Jesus as the Son of God, you come back to John 1, maybe over and over if you need to, to say, what does that mean? Just a little son or kind of part but not fully? 
Packer, and I think the, the word here is explaining, no, the, the word God became flesh. This, this God is full of glory. This is Jesus Christ. It's his deity. And we're going to see, in fact, that the Jewish people even understood what Jesus himself was saying as to, as to this claim to his deity. A couple other places, and I'll be working out of John here, but we're going to, I'll send you another place in just a minute. But John, there's a couple places. John 5, verses 17 through 18. Yeah, you can look there. We're, we're so close. John 5, verse 17. Just give, here Jesus, he's, he's answering the, the Jews. They were persecuting him for healing on the Sabbath. And it says here, let's see, verse 17. Yeah, Jesus says this, my father is working until now and I am working, okay? Yeah, there's 17. My father is working until now and I am working. And then verse 18 explains. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Okay, so Jesus is saying, my father is working till now, I am working This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. All right, again, we've got, there's John chapter 10. The Jews pick up stones to stone him because in verse 13, Jesus had said, I and the Father are one. And I think there's that connection to Isaiah 9, 6, and uh, you can look up that connection of Jesus where it's talking about everlasting father, and, and this connection here as well. But then there's one last one. I want you to turn here to John 8:58. Just a few short words. And Jesus sums up just who he is. This is really just kind of a summary statement in, in just small space. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus, as you're on your way there, Jesus has been challenging these Jews. He's saying, your father, it was, it was not as they supposed. Your father is not what you think. It's not Abraham, but your father is the devil, for your will is to do your father's desires. But the Jews, they keep after Jesus. They're like, you're, you're a Samaritan. You've got a demon. And they, they question him. They say, are, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And there's this question, it's right at the end of verse 53, who do you make yourself out to be? There's the question, just who are you? Let me read now, starting at verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. We looked at that when we were in Romans 4. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And here's our verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 
Verse 58, it's one of those I am statements that are so familiar in the book of John. You think here that John was intent on making sure in his gospel that we understood the deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he is the I am. There's just two things I want to note coming out of verse 58, two things here out of maybe more that could be said, but when Jesus says here, truly, truly, Maybe you've got, I don't know if King James says verily, verily. It's, an, it's another way of saying amen and amen. D.A. Carson notes on this phrase, he says, even just the singular, amen or truly, it carried over from the Hebrew the idea of certainty or steadfastness and says it was sometimes appended to the end of prayers to voice hearty agreement and solemn wish that the prayer be fulfilled. Jesus uses it before an utterance to confirm and emphasize its trustworthiness and importance. And so Jesus says, with certainty, truly, truly, this is a sure thing. And then he says these words, I am. And it's here as elsewhere. It's not just I am. It is that. You read that in the English, but it's really I, I am. John could have used one Greek word to get this across, the, the I am, but he used two. It's ego, ami. He could have just said ami. He put in there ego. I think we get that ego, I. I am. Ami is to be. I, I am. Together. It's, there's emphasis here. And this is before Abraham was begotten or born, before Abraham was, past tense, Jesus is, present tense. And so the verb is, it's I am. It's not I was or I might be, but it's present. I am. I always say to the Jews, they certainly understood what Jesus was saying because they're picking up stones to throw at him. He was blaspheming God, making himself equal to God, as we saw John chapter 5. Before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. This, the, this baby in the manger is God a very God in the flesh. So Christmas is not the celebration of Jesus becoming. Yes, he became a man, but not Jesus kind of coming into existence. This is Jesus taking on flesh. We'll look at that next week. But Jesus has always been. His existence is before creation, from eternity past and to all eternity And yet, then we'll look again next week that this eternal Son of God takes on flesh and becomes a man. As we think on this, the fullness of deity that dwells in Christ and what this means, I just want to come away with three rather brief implications, three applications or thoughts flowing out of what does this mean? Jesus is God. Number one, To go along with what Packer has said, it makes sense out of everything else Jesus did. He says this, The incarnation is in itself an unfathomable mystery, but it makes sense of everything else that the New Testament contains. Why would Jesus live a sinless life? He's God in the flesh. Why would demons obey him? He was God in the flesh. Why could he teach with authority or forgive sins or heal the sick, raise the dead, or calm that raging storm in Galilee? It's because he was God 
in the flesh. Why could he do the will of the Father, even enduring on the cross the wrath of God in our place, dying for sin and rising again? He was God in the flesh. How do we know that he lives forever and he'll forever intercede for his own? Because he is God in the flesh. If we understand, I think what Packer's getting at, understand the deity of Christ, the rest makes sense. So that's one. It makes sense out of what Jesus did, everything Jesus did. Number two, then Jesus is worthy to be followed and obeyed with all of our life. Talks about his sheep hearing his voice. His sheep are to follow the shepherd. Matthew's gospel ends with that command. Go make disciples. Teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. So to be a disciple is to be a follower of Christ. And because Jesus himself is God of very God, he's worthy of our complete obedience. If Jesus is God, and he is, he's worthy of us to lose our entire life for his sake, which he talks about. So he's worthy to be followed and obeyed. And then lastly, number three, he's worthy of our praise. It means Jesus being very God himself. He's worthy of our praise, our worship, our adoration. This baby born in Bethlehem is not some baby amongst others. He is the Christ child. He's the king of kings. He's the authoritative ruler over all creation. And here he is wrapped in swaddling clothes. As the song goes, I think it's Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Do you hear the good news, the good news of Luke 2? Jesus is our Emmanuel. I hope you know him today, that you've put your trust and faith in our Savior and Lord, that you've looked to him for salvation. And if not, the encouragement here in Scripture is come to Jesus. May each of us, even this, as we think about this, this great time of year, and I love the lights and the candles and trees and mangers and nativities and all these things that we start to ponder. And we, we do think on these things. We think on this, that Jesus here, God himself, this is God, transcendent, holy God, would take on flesh to redeem a people for himself all for his glory. May we look closely to him and ponder him and then worship. Let's pray. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, O Lord Jesus Christ, forever. Worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain. Lord, it's the song of heaven. It's the song of eternity is to praise you. And may we get a head start on eternity by praising you during this season. Help us, Lord, in the midst of things that vie for our time, and they vie for our time all year long, and for our concentration and for our meditation and our thoughts. 
may we truly ponder. May we think on these things and take enough time to slow down and to consider here's the God who come in the flesh. God incarnate to save a wretch like us. May we worship you forever. Praise you in the season. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.